You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. So if you were to look at most of the curriculum, I think being taught in public schools today in regards to sex and sexuality, as well as, again, the numerous cultural resources and avenues uh, and, and the ways that sex and sexuality is being presented in our culture today, the underlying assumption, kind of, kind of the main um, point that they kind of work from in that curriculum is this. If we can get people particularly students in, in, in the schools, if we can get them to kind of just think of sex as an isolated activity, to really be only thought of in the confines, in the context of the moment, if we can get them to transfer the focus from intimacy to activity, if we can make sex about recreation and not about relationship. That, that's really kind of the primary focus of a lot of sex curriculum in the schools and in our culture today. Because when it comes to sex and sexuality, the culture today is really shouting a variety of messages and many of them are very much contrary to God's word. Many of those confused messages are communicated through just numerous channels. We see it on TV, we hear it on the radio, we see it on the internet, we see it in, in advertisements, in magazines, we hear about it from the schools, from parents, from peers, movies, just to name a few. And some of the messages being communicated and shouted in our culture today is that sex outside of marriage is not a big deal. Everybody does it, and you're kind of a weirdo if you don't. Kids are going to have sex anyway, so to make sure, uh, because we know they're going to do it anyway, we want to make sure that when they're doing it, they're doing it safely, so here is a condom. The messages we hear in the culture today is sex with whomever, whenever, wherever, it's just a part of being human and having hormones. It's completely natural and normal. Those are just kind of a few of the very uh, mixed messages, mixed up messages that our culture, our, our kids uh, as, as people are constantly being bombarded with. There was a time not too long ago when the science was settled on the number of sexes. Was it not? Male and female, just the way God created it just the way God revealed it to us there in Genesis chapter one. A new idea called gender fluidity has come along and now we're being told there are unlimited number and descriptions of sexes and forms of sexuality. And whatever you identify with at the time is what you are. See, here's the confusing thing to me. See, the science is settled on covid on mask, on vaccine, and how dare you question the science. But the science is not settled on the number of genders. Makes no sense to me at all. Now you wanna know the message I grew up with, and probably the message a lot of you who maybe are my age or older grew up with? Here's the message I grew up with when I was a kid. Sex was for married people only. 
The underlying principle was that God created sex for one man, one woman, to be shared in the context of marriage for our lifetime till death do you part, period, end, stop. What we're gonna discover today is God has given us parameters. Good, holy, healthy, godly parameters in his word when it comes to sex and sexuality. And not because God is some cosmic killjoy, not because God is anti-science, but because God created sex for a very specific purpose and blessing in our lives. God purposely designed and created sex, not just for procreation, God also designed sex to kind of be the ultimate experience of enjoyment and intimacy between two married people. And, and one of the means by which God does this and has designed this is simply purity is the pathway to intimacy. Now, now just embrace that. Purity is the pathway to intimacy. The enemy has kind of come, he's taken that concept and he kind of begins to twist it and to confuse it. And he reduces it to an activity with whomever, wherever, and whenever. That our sexuality is open to change and that we can just interpret that in a thousand ever-changing ways. And the twist, the deception that the enemy has kind of, kind of foisted upon our culture today is that sex is a pastime. Whereas the truth is, sex is a pathway that God intentionally designed to lead somewhere. And it has outcomes. Just as pornography, it is not simply a pastime. It is a pathway and it leads to destruction. It leads to, to, to breakdown in our relationships with God, our relationships with one another. There's a story about the all-time uh, baseball player, great Babe Ruth, who was called out by the umpire after the third strike. After the third strike was called by the umpire, Babe Ruth and the umpire kind of got into this shouting match over the call. And the crowd was also kind of screaming angrily at the umpire as well. They too angry over the call. And Babe Ruth tells the umpire, he says, there's 40,000 people here who know that last pitch was a ball, not a strike, you tomato head. And the umpire responded to Babe Ruth and he said, maybe so. But mine is the only opinion that counts. You're out. While it's true there are many voices and there are different calls on what is right and what is wrong, what is good, what is evil, when it comes to sex and sexuality, there's only one voice that matters. There's only one voice that counts, and that is the word of God. God is the ultimate umpire of the universe, not the crowd. And I'm more convinced than ever that what the scriptures say regarding sex and sexuality, not only is it true and relevant, it's just awesome advice regardless of the source. And there's a pushback, I'll be honest with you, there's a reluctance, there's an awkwardness on my part 
to even talk about sex in the church because I grew up in the Lutheran church and we never, ever talked about sex in church. Trust me, if we had, I'd have been all ears. I would have remembered that. And so part of my religious upbringing was you just didn't talk about this in church. So not only is there kind of just this level of discomfort and kind of awkwardness, I also feel kind of like one of those Old Testament prophets, you know, who's kind of crying in the wilderness and largely being ignored. So let me ask you this question, and it's a rear view mirror question. Meaning, as you look back on your past and your past decisions, here's the question. Has sex outside of marriage made your life better or more complicated? I'm guessing that for probably 99.9% of the people, if you were being honest, most would say that sex outside of marriage has made their life more complicated and chaotic. And the question I have is, why is that not obvious to everybody? See, when sex is taken out of its proper God-designed, God-created context, it complicates lives. It doesn't contribute to, it doesn't enhance life. Rape, abuse, ghosts from the past, memories of guilt and shame, disease, erosion of your soul, the breakup of homes and marriages, the, the split, broken apart families are just some of the consequences and the fallouts when this God-given, God-designed gift is taken out of its proper use and function. That's why rarely, if ever, do you hear people who talk about their past experiences, who kind of look in that rear view mirror of life. R rarely ever do you ever hear them say, you know what, I wished I'd had more casual sex growing up. You know, I wished I would have had more partners. I wished I would have cheated more on my spouse. The reason we never hear those kinds of comments is because sex outside of marriage always makes life more complicated and chaotic. Think about this. Do you realize, has it ever really occurred to you that just about every crime that makes it to the front page of newspapers or CNN or Fox News or the lead story of any kind of news media always usually has a sexual component to it? Have you ever noticed that? whether it's rape, kidnapping, murder, drugs. In recent months, as we've watched, again, the growing surge of illegal immigration on the southern border, I've read numerous reports where a majority of the women who are coming up through Mexico and the children are being raped and sexually abused by those bringing them to the border. As a matter of fact, one woman was quoted saying, we pay for their services with our bodies. Most crimes in our culture involve a sexual component to it. It is a fallout and it is a consequence of the twist. See, sex is like fire. I mean, in the right context, 
It's awesome. Like many of you, we have a fire pit in our backyard, and every so often we'll have a campfire, you know, get a good campfire going, and we'll roast hot dogs or, you know, we'll, we'll make s'mores. And so when our kids were younger, we would tell them, no torches, meaning we would never allow them to put a stick in, you know, to kind of get that lid on fire and then just kind of run through the backyard of the neighborhood with this flaming stick. I don't mind them, you know, helping me gather the wood, build the fire, light the fire, but I do mind about them taking burning sticks out of there and running through like an Olympian torch. I'm not against fire. I'm all for it. I mean, I, I brought the wood. I brought the matches. Many times God has gotten a really bad rap when it comes to sex. The fact is God is all for it. He's good with it. He created it. He brought the matches, so to speak. We live in a society right now where people are constantly taking burning sticks out of the sexual fire pit, and they're just kind of running all throughout society with these burning embers, leaving marks, burn marks, and, and scars everywhere. And then interestingly, they complain when somebody else's stick burns and scars them. See, to me, if you're gonna defend somebody's choice to take the burning torch of sexuality from the fire pit and run through society, burning and scorching others, then you can't complain when their ember burns and scorches you. So here's the ultimate question. Ultimate question I wanna ask this morning. If you were God, and you, you purposely designed sex, who gives it to, to mankind as a gift, it is the ultimate expression of intimacy between two married people who knew when this gift is taken out of its context, misapplied, misappropriated, that it's going to have negative consequences, it's gonna do more harm than any other thing, what would you expect God to say to you and I regarding sex and sexuality? If you were God and you created this wonderful gift, gave it to mankind, what would you expect God to say to you and to me regarding this great gift of sex and sexuality? Something we don't hear a lot about anymore is AIDS and HIV. I was kind of shocked as I was preparing this message. I'd kind of done a little research. And I was really stunned to discover that in, in like east and, and south parts of Africa, AIDS, HIV is still a major problem in that continent. As a matter of fact, in 2019, reports said that over 20 million people were currently living with HIV in East and South Africa. In the year 2019 alone, there were over 700,000 new HIV infections and over 300,000 deaths in just one year. Of the over 20 million currently affected, 73% of the adults, 58% of the, of the children are on very, very expensive uh, treatment programs. 
According to the report, almost all of the HIV infections were sexually transmitted. Now, again, let's go back to the ultimate question. If you were God, and you could see and measure and understand the full impact of AIDS on the continent of Africa, not just in 2019, but over the last 40 years that HIV AIDS has plagued the nation of Africa, as it's infected and killed millions and millions and millions of people and children, leaving untold numbers of of children without parents, all because of a misappropriation and a misapplication of sex, what would you say? And if you're one of those that are here this morning and you're inclined to think of sex as an isolated recreational activity that you should be free to do with whomever, whenever, wherever, I'm not hurting anybody else. It's none of your business. It's my body. What do you think the emotional impact, the economic impact, the societal impact, the spiritual impact, if you were able to calculate that, what do you think that would be from the HIV epidemic in Africa alone? I think the impact is so enormous, it's incomprehensible and astronomical that there would be no way that I or all of us together could ever begin to understand or appreciate the impact that has had on that one continent. Now you take that and you exponentially Multiply that with all of the other misappropriations and applications of sex around the world. It should boggle the human mind as to the potential destruction and harm sex outside the fire pit has had. Now again, if you're here this morning and you're kind of just inclined to think that what other people do with their sex and their sexuality is no one else's business. And you look at the devastation in Africa alone. Can I ask you, how high does the cost, how high does the death toll have to get before it becomes somebody's business? How bad does the body count have to get? Before we start standing up and saying, hey, wait, time out. We, we need to have an adult conversation here because we cannot continue to thrive and, and, and to grow as a culture if we continue this downward spiral. And we are. When we look at what's going on in sex and sexuality in the United States today, folks, we are on a, we are on a downward spiral. We're circling the drain, so to speak. So what would you expect God? Back to the ultimate question. What would you expect God? Who is, by the way, able to accurately, fully measure and comprehend the full impact of misapplied, misappropriated sex to say? What would you expect God, who is fully loving, 
unconditional love. He wants the best for you. He's for you, not against you. What would you expect him to say? Go for it. If you're gonna do it, use a condom. Be careful. If it feels good, do it. I don't think so. So let me tell you what I think a loving, caring, heavenly father who does want to bless you, who wants the best for you, who wants you to prosper, who has great plans for your life. Let me tell you what he has to say regarding sex and sexuality. In 1 Corinthians, and before I get to that specific verse, I, I wanna just take a moment, I wanna set up the context of this verse before I share it with you. Paul is writing a letter to a church in Corinth. And Paul planted this church in Corinth where the culture at that time, here was their mindset. Sex is an isolated activity. It's recreational. So here you have this first century church over 2,000 years ago who thought of sex as just kind of a hobby, just something fun to do. As a matter of fact, in the culture of that time, now get this, some of you are gonna find this hard to believe, but it's true. In that time, you could actually go to the temple there in, in Corinth, and you could worship a pagan god and then have sex with the temple prostitute, and that was considered part of your worship. True. So in the Corinth culture that Paul's writing to, you could go to work. And on your way home from work, you could stop by the, the, the temple and you could worship the pagan god, have sex with the temple prostitute, and then go home and, and have dinner with, with, with your wife and, and the family and maybe sit down and play a game of Scrabble. Sex was just something you do. It's no big deal, right? The Apostle Paul drops into that culture, he drops into that mindset, and he says, whoa, whoa, people, Christian, Christians in Corinth here, time out. Paul's kind of saying, where do I even begin to untangle this? And so Paul says, let's start with this. Let me just give you God's take on sex and sexuality. Here's what God would say to you. 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee sexual immorality. Now to flee, it means to run away, and not just run away, but run away as fast as you can and never look back. It's like you just don't flirt with it, you don't get close to it, you get away from it as fast and as far as possible. And unfortunately, because of the, of the constant redefining and revision of the words in our culture today, I need to define for you the word immorality. So you're here, maybe you're here today, and you're living with a guy or a girl, and you're not married, and you're living together, you're having sex together, and you, you look at that person, or maybe you're kind of looking at, at me, and you're saying, yeah, we're living together, we're not married, and I agree with what the Bible says, we should flee sexual immorality, but I don't think what we're doing is immoral. 
Maybe you're here this morning and you're married, but you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend on the side and you really love them, but you really love your wife, you, you love this family thing you've got going on, you don't wanna wreck your marriage, but this boyfriend, this girlfriend, kinda makes you feel the way you used to feel when you were first married. And maybe you kind of got this song, you know, that whenever you hear this song, this is our song kind of thing going on. And we agree that, you know, we should flee sexual immorality, but we just don't believe what we're doing is, is immoral. Be here this morning. And maybe you're a man who's sexually active with another man, a woman who's sexually active with another woman. And you're sitting here saying, I agree with what Paul says there, flee sexual immorality, but I don't believe what we're doing is immoral. Be here this morning. Maybe you're on the pathway of pornography. You look at porn, you look at X-rated movies, read magazines, you view porn on the computer, and you're sitting here saying to yourself, yeah, I agree. Paul says we should flee sexual immorality, but I don't believe what I'm doing is immoral. I understand all of that. And I can see how a lot of people can be deceived into thinking that because we have a culture that's constantly redefining words and terms and they're constantly shifting their meanings to adapt to our lifestyle choices. Every one of us wants to be our own umpire. So let me tell you what the Bible says immorality is. In both the Old and the New Testament, Sexual immorality is defined as any form of sexuality or sensuality outside the context and bonds of marriage. So rather than spend all this time telling you what I'm against, let me tell you what I'm for. The Bible says sexual immorality is any form of sexual activity or intentional sensuality outside the covenant and bonds of marriage. That is what the Bible defines immorality to be. Now I know some of you may totally disagree with me and you may be sitting there and you're kind of thinking in your seats, oh come on, Pastor Rip Van Winkle, wake up, get with the times. But I've always felt my responsibility as a pastor of this church is to teach what the Bible says, whether you agree with it or not. So Paul says, look, when it comes to the sexual act or any form of sensuality outside the covenant of marriage, you have got to flee. You have got to run from that. You have got to get as far away from that as fast as you can and never look back. And this is so important because of the next thing Paul goes on to say, verse 18 continues, flee sexual immorality, all other sins. Now stop right there. Paul is saying, I know there are a lot of different kinds of sins, but Paul says when it comes to sexual sins, they are in a category all of their own. And the reason sexual sins are in a category all of their own is because of the way it impacts you and those who live around you. Sin is in a complete different category of its own because of the effect and the reaction it has on God, our relationship with God, and 
our relationship with others and ourselves. God's call for sexual purity is because it offers the best protection for body, mind, soul, and spirit. And jumping back to verse 15, Paul gives a further explanation. Do you not know? And apparently they didn't. Paul's saying, do do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Paul's making the link here that we represent Christ upon the earth through our physical bodies. We are his hands, we are his feet, we are his mouthpiece. Paul says your physical bodies as Christians are all a part of that. And verse 15 continues, shall I then take the members of Christ and unite? Now that word there in the Greek, it it means to permanently bond, to glue, to permanently attach, is what he's kind of saying there. Shall I then take the members of Christ and glue them permanently attach them to a prostitute. Now by this point, Paul's audience is probably going, wait, 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 Paul, you're misunderstanding. It's just sex. That's it. I'm not, I'm not uniting. I'm not, I'm not adhering. I'm not bonding. I'm not gluing myself to anyone. It's just sex. And Paul's going, okay, you really don't understand this. You think it's just physical. You think it's just a recreational activity between two consenting adults. And he says, you you Corinth Christians, you got a lot to learn and understand about sex and sexuality. God created you. God designed each one of us in a way that when you have sex with someone, you've united yourself. You've glued yourself to. You have permanently bonded yourself to that other person. That is a huge truth. That's what Paul's saying to them. Do you not know? Don't you understand? When you have sex with someone, you are uniting yourself. You are adhering yourself permanently. You're gluing yourself to that person. Verse 16, do you not know? He who unites, glues, permanently bonds himself with the prostitute is one with her in body. And then Paul quotes from the Old Testament, Genesis 2.24, for it is said the two will become one flesh. So Paul's saying when you have sex with someone, you unite with them. You fasten, you glue, you become one flesh with them. And when you separate, you take a part of them with you, they take a part of you with them. Because there is something permanent about sex. Sex is not just a physical thing. It is a soul thing, a spirit thing, a heart thing. Sex was God's way to physically illustrate and to create a sense of intimacy between two people. And when you take sex out of the function and design God intended, 
it for, you will foul up your intimacy factor. You mess up and you weaken your ability to be intimate. That's why if you're here this morning, like me, and maybe you were sexually abused as a child while it had nothing to do with any of your choices, it was, it was foisted upon you by somebody else's sin. You still struggle. I still struggle in the area of intimacy because sex is all about intimacy. It's not an isolated event. It is not a recreational activity to be shared with whomever, whenever, wherever. When two people unite in sex, there comes a oneness. And here's a truth that may explain some of your struggles. There comes a oneness in sex that you can never, ever fully, completely unone what has happened in the oneness of sex. You can't. It's why you can bump into a former sex partner in the grocery store 20 years later and still feel awkward and uncomfortable. So what do we do with this? There's one group here that hears me and you're just saying to yourself, that's what I would expect from a preacher. That is exactly the message I would expect to hear in church. You are so out of touch, it's not even funny. You are so irrelevant, I'm out of here. See you later, Pastor Rip Van Winkle. Here's what I would say to you. One word for you, if you're kind of resisting the whole thing I'm saying, and my word for you this morning is remember. Remember this message, because here's what can happen. One day, you'll wake up at the bottom of the heap. Your relational life will be such a mess. You may have many sexually transmitted diseases. You're trying to figure out why life's not working for you, why you're just burning through relationship after relationship why you're so empty and why you're so numb on the inside, maybe why you're on your fifth marriage, and maybe you'll remember this message. And if you ever come to that place where the hole in your soul gets so big that you can't take it anymore, I pray you'll remember if your sexual appetite or your need to be desired is starting to control your life or does control your life, I hope you remember God, who is your loving, gracious, heavenly Father, desires and has a plan to start putting your life back together at whatever point you just stop and look his direction. And even though there may be consequences that you may have to deal with for the rest of your life, just remember that his mercy and his grace are big enough to help you through it. And I hope you remember, God's not mad at you. He's just brokenhearted because he loves you and he desires the very best for you. And we have refused. But there's a second group that hears me this morning 
And you're saying, you know what? You don't have to say anymore. You've convinced me. Put away the paints, I've got the picture. I know you're right. This makes complete sense to me. It mirrors my past experiences. I know my life needs to change, but I feel so guilty. I feel so full of shame. I feel powerless to change. It may be too late. I don't know what to do. I also have one word for you. It also starts with an R, and it's the word repent. It's the word Charlisa prayed over our congregation this morning. Do you realize God always yells repent at people he cares about? God always yells, repent, at people he loves. Do you know what repent means? Repent just simply means that you come into agreement with God. I'm wrong, he's right. And I am gonna turn, and I am gonna run as fast and as hard as I can away from sin and into the arms of God. I'm gonna flee, I'm gonna turn around, and I'm gonna go the opposite direction. It means you simply recognize, you understand sex is not a pastime, but it is a pathway that has led you away from God and God's plan for your life. And through repentance, you're ready to forsake that, to run back to God to turn around and begin to do it his way. Repentance means you get alone with God and you put all your past sexual sins on the table and you ask God to bring to your remembrance any and every area that God needs to forgive, that God needs to cleanse and to heal and God will do it. See, repentance for some of you, it may mean taking very, very drastic measures. It may mean getting rid of the internet access at your home or in your office, or maybe moving the computer screen out of a private place into a more public place. It may mean getting rid of the computer altogether. For some of you, Repentance may mean you need to break off the current sexual relationship you're in because you're not married to them. For some of you, it may mean you need to get out of that relationship completely because it's not good for you. For those who are single, repentance may include going to your calendar and just putting an X on today's date and just committing yourself to saying, for the next year, I'm not gonna date anyone. I'm not gonna sleep with anyone. And I'm gonna allow God that year to really begin to put my heart, my spirit, my soul back together to bring healing into those areas where I have allowed destruction. Why so drastic, Pastor? because sex and sexuality outside of God's plan and design for us is dangerous stuff. See, I, I would never take my kids to a zoo and walk through a zoo with them where the animals are allowed to roam freely. Do you know why? It's dangerous. They could get hurt, they could get killed. You put animals behind bars because they could attack and potentially harm you. Immorality is like a wild animal and we need to take extreme precautions. Misapplied, misappropriate sex has killed so many marriages. It has divided so many families. Flee sexual immorality. If God truly loves you, what else would you expect him to say to you? Remember, Repent, I would say to those of you who are, are in a marriage, 
My word for you is remain. Celibate, or, uh, um, celibate in singleness, faithfulness in marriage. That is God's design for our sex and our sexuality. Some of you here this morning, you're, you're maybe on your third, fourth, fifth marriage. God's word to you today is remain. Repent, remain. Oh, but pastor, she drives me crazy. Oh, pastor, he makes me nuts. Man, I'm here to tell you your craziness, your nuttiness was in there long before you ever met them. God is simply using them to bring it all to the surface so God can deal with it and heal it. See, a lot of times we've convinced ourselves it's the other person that's the problem in the marriage. You've heard me say this a million times. The biggest problem in my marriage is my wife, right? No. <laughs> biggest problem in my marriage is me. The biggest problem in your marriage is you. Always has been, it always will be. But we've been convinced if we can just really focus our time, our attention, and our energy on the other person, we can fix it. Anybody want to give a testimony to how well that's going? <laughs> Probably not, because it doesn't go anywhere good. God has a plan for all of us in regards to sex and sexuality. And his word lays it out for us beautifully because he loves us. He wants the best for us, and he knows what that is. And so this morning, I, I just close with that. I don't, I don't know where you're at in that, whether you need to remember, whether you just need to repent. Maybe you're just here this morning, you just need to say, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna remain. I'm gonna stay in this. I'm committed to her. I'm committed to him. And even though it gets tough and rough at times, I know God is in this. God has a plan and a purpose for our marriage, and I'm just going to allow God to do what only God can do. If you're here this morning and you need to flee, it is time to flee. Today is the day of salvation. Today's the day to get it right. Today is the day to start living God's way. Not tomorrow, not next week, not next month. You know why? Because we don't know if there's gonna be a tomorrow, a next week, or a next month. Today, now, is the day of salvation. Now is the day. Now is the time to get it right. Amen? Let's stand together this morning. Father, we just thank you so much. God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you, God, for your tenderness, for your compassion. That God, even though we talk about very difficult subjects, your love never changes. Even though, God, we may feel awkward, we, we may feel uh, convicted, we may feel guilty, we may feel a lot of things as we talk about these subjects, but the one thing we'll never feel from you is rejection. You never ever give up on us, no matter how much we've given up on ourselves, no matter how big of a mess we've made it, your plan for us remains the same. So this morning, Father, we just ask for your grace. We ask for the ability, Lord, if it's to remember 
if it's to flee, if it's to repent, if it's to remain, wherever we find ourselves in that spectrum, that God, you would give us the grace and the mercy to do it. Again, Father, we just thank you for your power and your presence in this place. And Father, thank you that you have surrounded us, not just in this congregation, but throughout time with a great cloud of witnesses who have done it, who have been victorious, who have conquered the most difficult areas of life and have left us their testimony. Father, we thank you for that. And because we know they have, we know we can. By your strength, by your grace, and by your mercy, Father. So Lord, just come to us wherever we are in this moment. And just live your life in us and through us going forward. And Father, again, we just thank you for your goodness, your kindness, that brings us to this place of repentance, the potential for transformation. It's your goodness, it's your kindness that brings us to this place this morning. And we thank you for that, God. And we wanna take advantage of that in this place this morning. We turn to you, we look to you, we trust you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org.